From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Saturday, October 16th, 2021. We are going to head up to Boston for Danny Flecka's weekly spot. Good morning, Danny. Carlos Correa's got some uh, swagger, huh? Um, Got to imagine there's a lot of very upset Red Sox fans this morning. Yeah, I didn't watch most of the game. I went to bed after Altuve hit the tying home run. Um, so I didn't see any of the end of the game. Didn't see the highlights or anything. But looks like the Astros were able to get to the Red Sox bullpen a bit and um, you know able to pull out that game one win. They were. We shall see um, how game two progresses and if the Red Sox use that as motivation. I bring this up because somebody asked me as a Yankee fan, who do you root for in this series? And I said, I'm rooting for the Dodgers, so I'm rooting for extra innings um, in, in the ALCS to wear out whoever emerges from this. You're a fellow Yankee fan. Who are you rooting for? I... I'd like to see the Braves get it. Uh, it's been a while since they've been, uh, you know, World Series champions. They have a young, fun, exciting team, good pitching. The way they've been able to rally around themselves after Acuna got hurt um, and still be in contention and, and win. Uh, I, I'm pulling for them. It'd be nice to see something a little bit different there, um, you know, in the World Series. You know, we've gotten the Dodgers Astros. We've gotten the Dodgers Red Sox the last couple of years. Um, i like to see the Braves in there, see if we can get something a little bit different. I, I think they're, again, a young, exciting team, and it'd be good for baseball, I think, if they're able to get there. We're going to um, start our in-depth discussion this morning on teeing it up with something different, which is talking about your least favorite subject, you. Um your flag football league does post-game interviews with the MVP of the game which I find fascinating. So my self-serving question this morning, Danny, is has coming on teeing it up a ton over the last three years helped you in these post-game interviews? I don't know. It's my first time I've ever done something like that. Everything with social media, they're posting it on there for, you know, exposure and to show, like, the, you know, I guess engagement they have with, like, their players and how they want their league to look. Um, it was a quick 20-second thing, too, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't expect it, didn't want to do it, to be honest with you, but um, it's just something a little bit different, a little bit fun that, like, these social leagues that you play in um, do nowadays, I guess. Again, for, like, social media, putting their, their brand out there. Um, they, do a, they do it with all their leagues. You know, they do kickball, softball, play football, soccer. They do a pretty good job of, like, you know, utilizing social media for that. So um, a little bit different. You know, they didn't expect it, but hey, you know, you're out there to have fun at the end of the day. All right, we're going to start with the NFL and then move to college. When you look at the NFL, you had a really interesting um, chat with me yesterday about how you would defend Tom Brady after seeing what the Eagles attempted and ultimately failed at as the Bucks won 28-22 um, on Thursday night. Tell the folks out there how you would defend Tom Brady. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, this is all, like, hypothetical. There are very few teams that are built like this, but if, if I'm playing Tom Brady, you know, you want a good defensive front. Um, you want to be able, I think, then to play coverage in a sense of, 
you know, man to man. I think I would, if I were defending Tom Brady, at least show him these looks every once in a while, uh, just to get him off his spot a little bit. Because I think, you know, when you watch him, he's he's almost programmed in a sense. You know, if, I've watched him enough up here in New England. I've watched him, you know, enough throughout my life where his, his offensive drive do take on a sort of script that he has in his brain, and he, he's setting you up for them as he moves down the field, but. I would defend him with man coverage on the outside, play one single high safety, and then two linebackers, you know, underneath playing sort of what they call like a man shell. So they would be taking anything underneath um, and not diving too deep into the seams, um, which is what you saw a lot on on Thursday, right, with those play action fakes and linebackers, which is running right back into the, the second third of the defensive levels leaving everything underneath open. Um, we know Brady likes to attack the middle of the field. So taking away the middle of the field and forcing him to throw those outside routes, yeah, I, I get it that, you know, he's Tom Brady, but those outside routes are a lot harder to complete than the ones in the middle of the field. So, you know, that, that's how I look to do that. You know, obviously you want your defensive line to get pressure to get him off the spot a little bit, but... Playing zone coverage against him is it, just a death wish. You know, you're asking him just to pick you apart. Um, you're asking your then, you know, defense also to stay in coverage for a long time. So I think if there's a team out there that has like that type of personnel, I don't know if there is this year, to be honest. Um, there's some good defenses out there, but I don't know how many of them could run this type of scheme. But being coverage with your corners, single high safety, maybe go big nickel, you know, bring another safety in there to help with the run. Um, you know, and force Tom Brady to run the ball and, you know, and, and see what he does. See if he's patient enough to do that. I mean, that's the way I would look at it. But, you know, what, but what do I know? You know, I'm not a coordinator. I don't know tendencies and, and you know, analytics and schemes. I, I'm just going by off of what I see when I watch the play. Danny Flucker here on Teeing It Up. All right, let, let's go through what happened in college last week because it kind of sets us up for this week. You look at Alabama A&M and what was a wild game that was won on a last-second field goal by Texas A&M. It knocks Bama back. It puts Georgia as the clear number one now. What did A&M's win prove to you either about them or about Bama? I think it just goes to show you that, you know, any given day with the right team, with the right motivation and the right setting that, you know, any team is able to pull something off. And we have to remember, too, Texas A&M isn't a slouch of a team. They have top recruiting classes, a, a coach that's being paid $10-plus million a year. They have players. You know, their defense is pretty good. And we saw some of their skill players be, you know, open up a little bit last week against Bama. I think Bama maybe underestimated them a little bit. I think that they were a little sloppy. You know, they had the opportunity with the ball, tied 38-38 to go down there and win the game. They were up 38-31, couldn't stop Texas A&M. Were burned repeatedly in the secondary after Malachi Moore went out. So, you know, I think Bama has some work to do. I think defensively they have to tighten things up a little bit. Offensively, I think they'll be fine. You know, you still have... You know, five-star recruits all over the field. But, you know, the pressure's on Bama now. They can't slip up anymore. And now that, 
you know, potential match that we're going to see in the SEC championship game between them and Georgia, which is what it's looking like right now. You know, Georgia has a little bit more leeway. It's basically a playing game for them for the national, for the BCS, not BCS, for the college football playoffs. So I think Bama's going to come out this week, be a little bit more aggressive offensively, definitely try to take some, um, you know, shots defensively as well. You know, Mississippi State's going to be throwing the ball all over the field. So they have to be sound fundamentally, but Bama does have some things on the defensive side. They probably have to shore up a little bit. But at the end of the day, they're still one of the top four teams in the country. It all really comes down to, you know, what the rest of their year looks like and if they're able to, to get to that SEC championship game and, and catch Georgia because that's, that's really what it's looking like right now that's going to happen in that league. Georgia now faces Kentucky. And Kentucky is having this resurgent upstart year. This is the essentially the division title for the SEC East. Um, do you give Kentucky any bit of a chance today? No shot. Uh, they just don't have the explosiveness offensively to challenge Georgia. We saw this matchup a couple of years ago, too. I think it was 2019 or 2018. Kentucky was, was coming into the game on a winning streak. They had Georgia visiting Lexington, and Georgia just stopped them. Um, I, I see the same thing happening here, especially in Georgia and, and Athens. I just don't see the offensive firepower from Kentucky. Their defense, you know, is going to have to hold on against Georgia. You have to hope that Georgia makes some mistakes, but I don't see how Kentucky is able to move the ball. You know, it's reflected in the spread. It's reflected in their team total. You know, Vegas is thinking that Kentucky will be lucky to score 14 points. I- I'm with them on that. You know, it- it's just not not a good matchup for them. You know, Georgia does one thing really, really well, and that's, you know, stop the run. And that's what Kentucky wants to do. I just don't think they have the skill players or the quarterback to exploit them on the secondary. Danny Flucka with us here on Teeing It Up on a Saturday morning. Um, Penn State, Iowa was hyped correctly so and then unfortunately Sean Clifford goes out and that game turns and you wonder what the committee is going to look at for a Penn State team that makes it to the Big Ten title game and could ultimately win the Big Ten title. I know I'm going ahead like three steps and Penn State's got some big games left on their schedule but do you view this win, a 23-20 win for Iowa, as um, a definitive win, or is there an asterisk next to it? A win is a win at the end of the day. You know, Iowa just needs to do what they need to do, and that's when the game's on their schedule. The Big Ten, to me, is still wide open. You know, I, Iowa, you know, for them, knock on wood, should go undefeated in the Big Ten West. Is that what division they're in, or the Legends? I don't even know what they call it nowadays. Um, yeah, it changed have, names just have, several years ago. Teams, uh, left, you know, they had South play Wisconsin, Nebraska. You know, there's always an opportunity to flip up or, or let down. But the Big Ten to me is still wide open. You still have Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State in one division that all have to play each other in the next couple of weeks. So the Big Ten to me will be decided by the end of October. You know, what, what transpires from that? Who knows? You know, Ohio State still probably is the best team, you know, in the Big Ten. Their offense seems to be coming around. They're figuring things out. I think they have Penn State at home. 
Um, they yep. traveled to Michigan, but, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we have Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State, and they're going to beat up on each other, and we'll see who comes out on top. But if, if Penn State's able to, you know, run the table, get back to, for a rematch with Iowa, playing the Big Ten title game, and, and win that game, that does a lot for them to get back into the playoff hunt because they will, will have defeated, you know, potentially two to three top ten teams, you know, in process of doing that. Um, so, you know, there's a lot still left for them to play for, but the Big Ten is still wide open to me. It's going to come down to those matchups I mentioned, and we'll see what happens from there. Sorry, excuse me. Danny Flecker with us here on Teeing It Up. That brings us to the Red Rover rivalry game, which was a wild, wild back-and-forth game. Ultimately won by Oklahoma 55-48 after um, a quarterback change and a whole lot of drama um, and a massive comeback by Oklahoma. And I feel bad for Texas. I mean, that's just a crushing game you can't lose. So, with the Alabama slip-up, we'll get to Cincinnati in a moment. You now look at Oklahoma. Do they have a ticket into the playoff if they win out? I think if they win out, yes. Um, they still, again, like for all these teams, you know, we don't want to get too far ahead. But, you know, they have still play Iowa State. TCU tonight is not a game that anyone should overlook. You know, TCU's hungry for a win against Oklahoma. Um, I think that they could, you know, give them some trouble tonight. And then they had the Big 12 championship game, you know, and still Oklahoma State on, on the schedule. Anything could happen. Oklahoma, despite their comeback last week, there's still a lot of warts for this team, you know. They were able to move the ball against Texas, but was that an anomaly or what they, or what they are going to be like moving forward? Because prior to that, they were having struggles with moving the ball and, and you know, doing what we've seen Oklahoma do the last couple of years. I think Caleb Williams, he looked great last week, but there's a difference between coming in the middle of the game, uh, knowing that, you know, you're going to be slinging the ball around the park and, you know, preparing all week and flowing with the game happening live. You know, there's a lot, a lot, you know, that he's going to have to learn the next couple of weeks. And, you know, is this the last that we see the Spencer Rattler or is this a Jalen Hurts situation, you know, where um, he's going to need to be called upon at some point for Oklahoma for them to get to where they want to get to? It's an interesting situation. But, you know, Oklahoma still, to me, needs a lot, needs to do a lot to be, you know, cemented in there. And, you know, last week went a long way for them to still be in contention. But, I don't know if their offense is what we saw last week or if, you know, we're going to see what we saw the last couple of weeks prior where they were struggling to get the ball in the end zone and, you know, put opponents away. Which brings us to Cincinnati UCF. After beating Temple 52-3, to um, this is a big test for Cincinnati, the number three ranked team in the country. How big of a threat is UCF? in a season where anybody can beat anybody? I don't think it's, they're that big of a threat for them. Uh, you know, they're out there starting quarterback. Uh, Gus Malzahn is, a, I think, a terrible coach. Um, if He doesn't have the system in place, I think, there yet, or the players in place there yet, you know, what he wants to do. I think Cincinnati, 
seems to be a little bit more worried about potentially Houston and then um, and SMU rather than UCF, and those are teams that they'll have to play eventually in their conference. But I, I don't think UCF is going to, you know, prove to be too difficult of a matchup. Maybe there's you know a little bit of a letdown for Cincinnati coming at some point. Um, but I don't think that you know UCF has the firepower to keep up with uh, Cincinnati at this point. We shall see how all this plays out uh, coming up. But 21 and a half is that line, which I think is representative of, of the weaknesses you just laid out for UCF. Um, we now switch to the National Football League in, in a um, not great, not horrible slate of games um, coming your way uh, tomorrow and Monday. I, I want to go to Arizona Cleveland for a second. When you are out, your head coach and a whole bunch of other coaches, um, and with the way Cliff Kingsbury runs this offense and with as much power as Cliff Kingsbury has within this offense, with him having COVID and now having to sit out, how big of a deal is this for Kyler Murray facing a 3-2 and Browns team on the road? Yeah, from a skill standpoint, it's not a big change, right? They're still going to try out their players regardless of, you know, Kingsbury being there or not. I, I think the, the flow of the game is what's going to change. You know, he's an offensive play caller. We don't know who's going to be calling the plays on Sunday. We don't know if they have any experience calling the plays. You know, situational awareness of that play caller. You know, how much freedom does Kyler Murray have within the offense to, to make checks and change plays? Those are all the things that are going to come up now uh, because, you know, Kingsbury is going to be out. And I think that's a disadvantage. I just think that, you know, with that type of offense, a lot of it's predicated on situational um, football. You're looking to use your, your pass game as an extension of your run game. Does this new play caller call plays the same way? Are they going to get in the same sets? Are they going to be aggressive on, on certain plays and downs and distances? Uh, I think that's where we're going to see the change. You know, Kyler Murray's exceptional. Um, they have an exceptional offensive team. But if there's a little bit of a hiccup in the system, you know, that, that's where we'll see some issues. And not to mention, I think the weather tomorrow in Cleveland is going to be a little bit bad, uh, you know, with some high winds. And, and we all know what that can do to a passing game. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what types of situations the play caller puts them in, how aggressive they are um, in certain situations, and, you know, what, what freedom Kyler Murray potentially has in that system to, to maybe run it himself and get the team in situations that he wants to get them into. I think those are the things I'll be looking for in that game because I think that's what you lose when you, you have your, your offensive play caller out. Yeah, ignore that 61 and sunny, folks. It's going to be very windy in a lot of the Northeast tomorrow. So you may see a temperature and see sunshine. Don't believe it. Um, the line is Cleveland three and a half. Is that rep- the uh, current line? Is that representative of the fact that you have Arizona on the road, um, you know, into a different time zone, or is that more representative of all these coaches being out? Well, the line was fluctuating between like two and a half and three all week. Uh, I, I think that the Kingsbury news definitely shot that up to three and a half, and I, I think it's. It's right around where it should be, you know, a field goal or so. Um, obviously, that half a point is a little tricky from a betting perspective because you always want to be able to have the opportunity for a push. 
I, I think that three and a half, three, you know, we might see a lot of money come in tomorrow on uh, Arizona. That maybe pushes the line down to Cleveland. Minus three or two and a half again. Um, but, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting spot. I think it's, you know, Cleveland has some issues of their own. So they're not, Scott, you know, coming into this game scot-free either. Uh, you know, Nick Chubb will be out. Uh, they're missing a couple of offensive linemen and some defensive players. So it's going to be an interesting game. So even though Arizona has some of the COVID issues, uh, we know that Cleveland has some of just some injury issues as well that will affect their game plan. So I, I think that line is where it should be. I think just because of the situation that Arizona finds themselves in without their coaching staff and without their offensive play caller, I mean Cleveland. We have some historical evidence of this already this year as well as last year when these types of games have happened, you know, what's happened to those teams. You know, we saw what happened to the Saints this year, what happened to Cleveland last year in New York when they played the Jets. Um, so, yeah, I think I would lean Cleveland this game just because of that absence of Cliff Kingsbury. Raiders Broncos, where do you think the Raiders heads at? Because for me, the the way that I look at this fiasco is the Washington football team's issues were with a prior regime. So whatever you think of the Washington football team and think of Bruce Allen and think of the NFL and Jeff Pass and uh, and all these emails. That at least was a prior regime. If I'm a member of the Washington football team, I'm, I'm not associated with all those people. You look at Raiders Broncos and it's like, oh, wow, we had a coach on Sunday that's no longer here. Yikes. And you don't know what else is going to fall. Now, apparently the NFL told the Associated Press there's nothing more that's going to come out. Um, but where do you think their heads are at? And this line is Denver 4. Um, is this a line that's based on X's and O's or is this a line based on off-the-field stuff? Because this has got to be bizarre if you're a member of, of the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, and, and going back to Washington, I wouldn't just assume that that they don't feel the pressure of what's going on either. In, in our society nowadays, you know, sons you know, suffer the sins of their fathers more than than anything nowadays. Washington still has that aura of being this sort of dysfunctional uh, organization with an owner who is, you know, got a brain full of mush and, and doesn't make any right decisions. So if you're a Washington football player, you're still, I think, feeling the pressure and uh, you're hearing the voices of what your team is, who you are, you know, changing that culture is gonna take a ton of time and doesn't just flip a switch. Going to the Raiders, the, the line was at three and a half when it opened up on Monday. That was when Gruden was still in charge. I, I think the line is what it is because of the you know, recent performances by the Raiders and that they're going to Denver, which is always a tough place to play. I personally think this is a great spot to back the Raiders. I think that we saw what happened to them last week when they had to ask, you know, answer these questions about how do you play for a coach that could say these things? How could you support somebody? How could you take him seriously? Yada, yada, yada. Now he's gone. He's not there anymore. They don't have to worry about answering those questions anymore. Now it's going to be about how do you respond. And I think that puts the players in a different type of situation. Now you understand that he's not here anymore. 
he's not going to affect us anymore. And, and personally, I think that they might play better without him. I, I, you know, I don't think Rudin was a great coach to begin with. Yeah, you know, his record showed what he what he was. His, you know, roster building was terrible. I think the Raiders feel a little bit freer this weekend. I think that they they come out and they play hard against Denver. Yeah, they're still what three and two. They still have a lot to play for. You know, are they a playoff team? Probably not. Um, but they still have an opportunity here to to win it against a divisional opponent. They're free of, of what Gruden was doing, what he was preaching. They can kind of sort of get back to basics and, and start over again. Even though it's the middle of the season, I still think they have that opportunity. I just think they're in a good spot here against Denver. Um, Denver, the last couple of weeks, have kind of shown their true colors. I still think they're limited offensively. Yes, their defense is, is really, really good, but I don't trust Teddy Bridgewater um, you know, to, to blow out a team. And I don't think the Raiders are going to allow him to do so. I think the Raiders are in a good spot this week, to be honest with you. And I would, I would bet on them. I think this is a great spot for them. Danny Flecko with us here on Teeing It Up. All right, what I believe is the best game of Sunday, which is Chargers-Ravens, 4-1 versus 4-1. Justin Herbert putting up massive, massive numbers. Lamar Jackson doing it in a very different way. Is Justin Herbert the best quarterback in the AFC, and how do you view this matchup? He's not the best quarterback in the AFC. You know, Patrick Mahomes still holds that title, regardless of what he's doing right now. I think that they're just in a, in a little bit of a weird spot, you know, in Kansas City right now, uh, trying to figure out, you know, what works best for this team, and, and they're and they're figuring it out. Herbert's been phenomenal. Uh, Jackson's been phenomenal, and this game really comes down to, to two things for me. It's, it's one, you know, can the Chargers stop the run? Um, you know. Everyone has, is going back to next last week and seeing what Cleveland did to them. But I think a lot of people forget that this Ravens team is down to Latavius Murray, Devontae Freeman, and Le'Veon Bell, and, and Tyson Williams as their running backs. They don't have Gus Edwards. They don't have J.K. Dobbins. So their run game isn't as explosive or as intimidating, I think, as it would be if those guys were in there. I do think that the Ravens need to figure out some things defensively because I, I you know, they've been thrown on a lot this year. There's, a, there's an ultimate reality where Baltimore might be one and four, you know, and their only win coming against Denver. They, they got a last-second field goal against uh, Detroit. They got that overtime win last week. So, you know, there's a reality where maybe Baltimore isn't 4-1. and one. Um, And I think this is going to be a close game. I think the explosiveness of the Chargers offense sets them up well here to be in a spot where they can, um, you know, exploit some of those deficiencies in, you know, in their, in their in Baltimore secondary. And then that allows, you know, the Chargers to stay, stay, you know, on schedule. But I think it's going to be a good game. Lamar Jackson is. It's proven to be a little bit better of a passer this year, and hopefully that translates, you know, throughout the season. But I think it's going to be a good game. Um, it's a tight line, three points. I'm personally not betting on it. I, I think this game could go either way. Um, but I do agree with you that it's probably one of the better games this weekend. Down the two and a half for Baltimore. So it's Baltimore a little more appealing from my perspective, from a betting angle, but still, I think. This game has a lot of variability to it that I, I probably will stay away from. You've got 90 seconds left. What do you like in terms of other gambling and or fantasy matchups? Yeah, I mean, this week is, 
It's a public week, you know. Green Bay is getting a lot of the bets. Uh, Dallas is getting a lot of the bets. Cincinnati is getting a lot of the bets. Sometimes it's just one of those weeks, and I think we just need to look at the matchups. I, I, I like what Cincinnati has been doing, the way they've been playing. Detroit, to me, has been snake-bitten, and I just think there's only so many games that they can stay, you know, as you know, stay competitive in and and go through these game scripts where they are down, 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 have to expend so much energy to come back, and then have to hold on. It, it's proven that it's not working because they're wasting all that time and energy trying to get back into games. We saw it against San Francisco, we saw it against uh, Baltimore, and we saw it against Minnesota. I think eventually they're going to be put in a spot where they just don't have that emotional energy to get back into games. So I think Cincinnati is a good play this week. I know it's at three and a half. I'd rather it be at three, but I do like Cincinnati there. And then, again, it's a public view, but I think Green Bay's in a good spot. Chicago's offense is limited. Fields isn't throwing the ball downfield. They're out, you know, two of their running backs uh, this week as well with Williams on the COVID list and Montgomery out. You know, how much does Nagy trust trust Justin Fields? And if they're down, you know, six, seven, eight points, is he going to open up the playbook and allow them to get back into it? I just don't think he does. Green Bay has dominated Chicago with Rodgers under center. I don't think Chicago has beaten him in a number of years. So I, I think Green Bay is a good spot. It's a tricky number. I think it's at six right now. You know, earlier in the week it was around four. But I think Green Bay is a good, in a good spot here. Even though they've been a little bit depleted uh, with their injuries, I still think that with Rodgers behind center, we know what Devontae Adams can do, that, that they're a good play in this spot. Um, there you go. Danny Flecka giving you the pathway to a winning Sunday and Monday. If uh, only things... Hope. What? Let's hope. Yeah. It's a winning plot. <laughs> yes. If only it was just easy as picking the right games. Um, but you do, you do need some luck to also come in there. Um, anyway, Danny, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. No problem, man. Have a good day. You got it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schoen.